Welcome to Volume 3 of How Right You Are, Jeeves. Chapter 5 Wax in the hands of the other sex, as the expression is. I went and broke it up as directed, but not blithely. It's never pleasant for a man of sensibility to find himself regarded as a Batinsky and a trailing arbutus, and it was thus I could see at a G that Wilbert Cream was penciling me in. At the moment of my arrival, he had suspended the poetry reading and had taken Phyllis' hand in his, evidently saying, or about to say, something of an intimate and tender nature. Hearing my what-ho, he turned and hurriedly released the fin and directed at me a look very similar to the one I had recently received from Aubrey Upjohn. He muttered something under his breath about someone whose name I did not catch, apparently having been paid to haunt the place. Oh. It's you again, he said. Well, it was, of course. No argument about that. Kind of at a loose end. Kind of at a loose end, he asked. Why don't you settle down somewhere with a good book? I explained that I had just popped in to tell them that tea was now being served on the main lawn. And Phyllis squeaked a bit, as if agitated. Oh, dear, she said. I must run. Daddy doesn't like for me to be late for tea. He says it's not respectful to my elders. I could see trembling on Wilbur Cream's lips, a suggestion as to where Daddy could stick himself and his views as respect to elders. But with a powerful effort, he held it back. I shall take Poppet for a walk. He said, chirruping to the toxin who was sniffing at my legs, filling his lungs with that delicious Worcester bouquet. No tea, I said. No. There are muffins. Ugh. He ejaculated, if that's the word, and strode off, followed by the low-slung dog. And it was borne in upon me that here was another source from which I could expect no presence at Yuletide. His whole demeanor made it plain I had not added to my little circle of friends. Though going like a breeze with dachshunds, I had failed signally to click with Wilbert Cream. When Phyllis and I reached the lawn, only Bobby was at the tea table, and this surprised us both. Where's Daddy? Phyllis asked. He suddenly decided to go off to London, said Bobby. To London? That's what he said. Why? He didn't tell me. Well, I must go and see him, said Phyllis and buzzed off. Bobby seemed to be musing. Do you know what I think, Bertie? What? Well, when Upjohn came out just now, he was all of a doodah, and he had this week's Thursday review in his hands. Came by the afternoon post, I suppose. I think he had been reading Reggie's comment on his book. This seemed plausible. A number of several authors among my acquaintance. The name of Boko Fiddleworth is one that springs to mind, and they invariably become all a doodah when they read a stinker in the press about their latest effort. Oh, you know about that thing the Kipper wrote? Yes, he showed it to me one day when we were having lunch together. Very important, I gathered from what he told me, but I don't see why that should make Upjohn bound up to London. I suppose he wants to ask the editor who wrote the thing so he can have him horsewhipped on the steps of his club, but of course they won't tell him, and it wasn't signed. Oh, hello, Mrs. Cream. 
The woman she was addressing was tall and thin, with a hawk-like face that reminded me of Sherlock Holmes. She had an ink spot on her nose, the result of working on her novel of suspense. It is virtually impossible to write a novel of suspense without getting a certain amount of ink on the pizza. Ask Agatha Christie or anyone. I finished my chapter a moment ago, so I thought I would stop in for a cup of tea. Said this literatus. No good overdoing it. No. Quit when you're ahead of the game, that's the idea. This is Mrs. Travers' nephew, Bertie Worcester. Said Barbie with what I considered a far too apologetic note of her voice. If Roberta Wickham has one fault more pronounced than another, it is that she's inclined to introduce me to people as if I was something she would much have preferred to hush up. Bertie loves your books. She added quite unnecessarily, and the cream started like a boy scout at the sound of a bugle. Oh, do you? Never happier than when curled up with one of them, I said, trusting that she wouldn't ask me which of them I liked best. When I told him you were here, he was overcome. Well, that certainly is great. Always glad to meet the fans. Which of my books do you like best? And I had got as far as Er and was wondering, though not without much hope, if all of them would meet the case, when Pop Glossop joined us with a telegram from Bobby on a salver. From her mother, I presumed, calling me some name which she had forgotten to insert in previous communications. Or, of course, possibly expressing once more her conviction that I was a guffin, which I thought, having had time to ponder over, would be something in the nature of a bohunkus or a hammerhead. Oh, thank you, swordfish, said Barbie, taking the telegram. It was fortunate that I was not holding a teacup as she spoke, for hearing Sir Roderick thus addressed, I gave another of my sudden starts, and, had I had such a cup in my hand, would have strewn its contents hither and thither, like a sower going forth sowing. As it was, I merely sent a cucumber sandwich flying through the air. Oh, sorry, I said, for I had missed the cream by a hair's breadth. I could have relied on Bobby to shove her oar in. The girl has no notion of passing a thing off. Excuse it, please, she said. I ought to have warned you. Bertie is in training for the Jerk the Cucumber Sandwich event at next year's Olympic Games. He has to be practicing all the time. On Mark Cream's brow there was a thoughtful wrinkle, as though she felt unable to accept this explanation of what had occurred. But her next words showed that it was not on my activities that her mind was dwelling, but on the recent swordfish. Having followed him with a keen glance as he faded from view, she said, this butler, Mrs. Travers, do you know where she got him, Miss Wickham? At the usual pet shop, I think. Had he references? Oh, yes. He was with Sir Roderick Glossop, the brain specialist, for years. I remember Mrs. Travers saying Sir Roderick gave him a super-colossal reference. She was greatly impressed. Mark Cream sniffed. References can be forged. Good gracious, why do you say that? Because I am not at all easy in my mind about this man. He has a criminal face. Well, you might say that about Bertie. I feel that Mrs. Travers should be warned. In my blackness at night, the butler turned out to be one of a gang of crooks, planted in the house to make it easy for them to break in. The inside stand, it's called. I strongly suspect this is why this swordfish is here though, of course, it is quite possible that he is working on his own. One thing I'm sure of, and that is that he is not a genuine butler.
What makes you think that? I asked, handkerchiefing my upper slopes, which had become considerably bedewed. I didn't like this line of talk at all. Let the cream get firmly in her nut the idea that Sir Roderick Glossop was not the butler, the whole butler, and nothing but the butler, and disaster as I saw it loomed. She would probe and investigate, and before you could say, what, ho, would be in full possession of the facts. In which event, Bim would go Uncle Tom's chance of scooping in a bit of easy money. And ever since I've known him, failure to get his hooks on any stray cash that's floating around has always put him out of touch with the bluebird. It isn't that he's mercenary, it's just that he loves the stuff. Her manner suggested that she was glad I had asked her that. I'll tell you what makes me think it. He betrays his amateurishness in a hundred ways. This very morning I found him having a long conversation with Wilbert. A real butler would never do that. He would feel it was a liberty. I contested this statement. Now there I said I should take issue with you. If taking issue means what I think it means... Many of my happiest hours have been passed chatting with butlers, and it has nearly always happened that it was they who made the first advances. They seek me out and tell me about their rheumatism. Swordfish looks all right to me. You're not a student of criminology as I am. I have the trained eye, and my judgment is never wrong. That man is here for no good. I could see that all this was making Bobby chafe, but her better self prevailed and she checked the heated retort. She's very fond of T. Portonit and Travers, who she tells me is the living image of a wire-haired terrier now residing with the morning stars, but at one time very dear to her, and she remembered that for his sake the cream had to be deferred to and handled with kid gloves. When she spoke it was with the mildness of a Cushat dove addressing another Cushat dove from whom it was hoping to borrow money. But don't you think, Mrs. Cream, that it may be just your imagination? You have such a wonderful imagination. Bertie was saying only the other day that he didn't know how you did it. Wrote all those frightfully imaginative books. I mean, weren't you, Bertie? Yes, my very words. And if you have an imagination, you can't help imagining. Can you, Bertie? Dash difficult! Her honeyed words were wasted. The cream continued to dig her toes in like Balaam's ass, of whom you have doubtless heard. I'm not imagining that that butler is up to something fishy. She said tartly. And I should have thought it was pretty obvious what that something was. You seem to have forgotten that Mr. Travers has one of the finest collections of old silver in England. This was correct. Owing possibly to some flaw in his mental makeup, Uncle Tom has been collecting old silver since I was so high. And I suppose the contents of the room on the ground floor, where he parks the stuff, are worth a princely sum. I knew all about that collection of his, not only because I'd had to listen to him for hours on the subject of sconces, foliation, ribbon wreaths and high relief, and gadroom borders, but because I had what you might call a personal interest in it, once having stolen an 18th century car creamer from him. Long story, no time to go into it now, you'll have to find it elsewhere in the archives. Mrs. Travers was showing it to Willie the other day, and he was thrilled. Willie collects old silver himself. With each hour that passed, I was finding it more and more difficult to get a toehold on the character of W. Cream, an in-and-out performer if there ever was one. First, all that poultry, I mean, and now this? I'd always supposed that playboys didn't give a hoot for anything except blondes and cold bottles. It just showed once again that half the world doesn't know how the other three-quarters lives.'
He says there are any number of things in Mr. Travers' collection that he would give his back teeth for. There was an 18th century car creamer he particularly coveted. So keep your eye on that butler. I'm certainly going to keep mine. Well, said the cream rising. I must be getting back to my work. I always like to rough out a new chapter before finishing the day. She legged it, and for a moment silence reigned. Then Bobby said, Phew! And I agree that phew was the moat juiced. We'd better get Glossop out of here quick, I said. How can we? It's up to your aunt to do that, and she's away. Then I'm jolly well going to get out myself. There's too much impending doom buzzing around these parts for my taste. Brinkley Court, once a peaceful country house, has become like something sinister out of Edgar Allan Poe, and it makes my feet cold. I'm leaving. You can't leave till your aunt gets back. There has to be some sort of host or hostess here, and I simply must go home tomorrow and see Mother. You'll have to clench your teeth and stick it out. And the severe mental strain to which I am being subjected doesn't matter, I suppose. Not a bit. Does you some good. It keeps your pores open. I should probably have said something pretty cutting in reply to this, if I could have thought of anything. But as I couldn't, I didn't. Once Aunt Dolly's address, I said. Royal Hotel, Eastbourne. Why? Because, I said, taking another cucumber sandwich, I'm going to wire her to ring me up tomorrow without fail, so that I can apprise her of what's going on in this joint. Chapter 6 I forget how the subject arose, but I remember Jeeves once saying that sleep knits up the raveled sleep of care. Balm of hurt minds, he described it as. The idea being, I took it, that if things are getting sticky, they tend to seem less glutinous after you've had your eight hours. Applesauce, in my opinion, it seldom pans out that way with me, and it didn't now. I'd retired to rest, taking a dim view of the curtain situation at Brinkley Court, and opening my eyes to a new day, as the expression is, I found myself taking an even dimmer view of it. Who knew, I asked myself, as I pushed the breakfast egg away, practically untasted, what Mark Cream might not at any moment uncover. And who could say how soon, if I continued to be always at his side, Wilbert Cream would get it up his nose and start attacking me with tooth and claw. Already his manner was that of a man whom the society of Bertram Worcester had fed to the tonsils, and one more side of the latter at his elbow might quite possibly make him decide to take prompt steps through the proper channels. Musing along these lines, I had little appetite for lunch, though Anatole had extended himself to the utmost. I winced every time the cream shot a sharp, suspicious look at Pop Glossop as he messed about at the sideboard, and the long, loving looks her son Wilbert kept directing at Phyllis Mills chilled me to the marrow. At the conclusion of the meal, he would, I presume, invite the girl to accompany him again to that leafy glade, and it was idle to suppose that there would be pique on his part, or even chagrin, when I came along too. Fortunately, as we rose from the table, Phyllis said she was going to her room to finish typing Daddy's speech, and my mind was eased with a nonce. Even a New York playboy, accustomed from his earliest years to pursue blondes like a bloodhound, would hardly follow her there and press his suit. Seeming himself to recognize that there was nothing constructed to be done in that direction for the moment, he said in a brooding voice he would take Poppet for a walk. This apparently was his invariable method of healing the stings of disappointment, and an excellent thing, of course, from the point of view of a dog who liked getting around and seeing the sights. 
They headed for the horizon and passed out of view. The hound gamboling, he not gamboling, but swishing his stick a good deal in an overwrought sort of manner. And I, feeling that this was a thing that ought to be done, selected one of Mark Cream's books from Aunt Dahlia's shelves and took it out to read in a deck chair on the lawn. And I should no doubt have enjoyed it enormously, for the cream unquestionably wielded a gifted pen, had not the warmth of the day caused me to drop off into a gentle sleep in the middle of chapter two. Waking from this some little time later, and running an eye over myself to see if the raveled sleeve of care had been knitted up, which it hadn't, I was told I was wanted on the telephone. I hastened to the instrument, and it was Aunt Dahlia's voice that came thundering over the wire. Bertie! Bertram it is! Why the devil have you been such a time? I've been hanging on this downed receiver a long hour by Shrewsbury clock. Sorry, I came on winged feet, but I was out on the lawn when you broke loose. Sleeping off your lunch, I suppose. My eyes may have closed for a moment. Always eating, that's you. It's customary, I believe, to take a little nourishment at about this hour, I said rather stiffly. How's Bonzo? Getting along. What was it? German measles. But he's out of danger. What's all this excitement about? Why did you want me to phone you? Just so you could hear your auntie's voice? I'm always glad to hear auntie's voice, but I had a deeper and graver reason. I thought you wanted to know about all the lurking perils in the house. What lurking perils? Mark Cream, for one. She's hotting up. She entertains suspicions. What of? Pop Glossop. She doesn't like his face. Well, hers is nothing to write home about. She thinks he isn't a real butler. From the fact that my eardrum nearly split in half, I deduced she had laughed a jovial laugh. Let her think that. You're not perturbed? Not a bit. She can't do anything about it. Anyway, Glossop ought to be leaving in about a week. He told me he didn't think it would take longer than that to make up his mind about Wilbert. Adela Cream does not worry me. Well, if you say so, but I should have thought she was a menace. She doesn't seem so to me. Anything else on your mind? Yes, this Wilbert Cream Phyllis Mills thing. Ah, now you're talking. That's important. Did young Bobby Wickham tell you that you'd got to stick to Wilbert closer than... A brother? I was going to say porous plaster, but have it your own way. She explained the position of affairs... She did, and it's precisely that that I wanted to thresh out with you. Do what out? Thresh! All right, start threshing. Having given the situation the best of the Worcester brain for some considerable time, I had the res all clear in my mind. I proceeded to decant it. As we go through this life, my dear old ancestor, I said, we should always strive to see the other fellow's side of things. The other fellow in this case under advisement being Wilbur Cream. Has it occurred to you to put yourself in Wilbur Cream's place and ask yourself how he's going to feel being followed around all the time? It isn't as if he was merry. What did you say? I said it wasn't as if he was merry. Merry, as I remember, enjoyed the experience of being tailed up. Bertie, you're tight. Nothing of the kind. Say British Constitution. I did so. And now say she sells seashells by the seashore. I reeled it off in a bell-like voice. Well, you seem all right, she said grudgingly. 
How do you mean he isn't Mary? Mary who? I don't think she had a surname, had she? I was alluding to the child who had the little lamb with the fleece as white as snow, and everywhere that Mary went the lamb was sure to go. Now I'm not saying that I have fleece as white as snow, but I am going everywhere that Wilbur Cream goes, and one speculates with some interest as to what the upshot will be. He resents my constant presence. Has he said so? Not yet, but he gives me nasty looks. That's all right. He can't intimidate me. I saw she was missing the gist. Yes, but don't you see the peril that looms? I thought you said it lurked. And looms. What I'm driving at is that if I persist in this porous plastering, a time must inevitably come when feeling that actions speak louder than words, he will haul off and bop me one. In which event, I shall have no alternative but to haul off and bop him one. The Worcesters have their pride, after all. When I bop them, they stay bopped till nightfall. She bayed like a foghorn, showing she was deeply stirred. You'll do nothing of the sort, unless you want to have an ant's curse delivered on your doorstep by special messenger. Don't you dare start mixing it up with that man, or I'll tattoo my initials on your chest with a meat axe. Turn the other cheek, you poor fish. If my nephew socked her son, Adela Cream would never forgive me. She would go running to her husband. And Uncle Tom's deal would be dished. That's the very point I'm trying to make. If Wilbur Cream has bust one, it must be somebody having no connection with the Travers family. You must at once engage a substitute for Bertram. Are you suggesting I hire a private detective? I is more the usual term. No, not that. But you must invite Kipper Herring down here. Kipper is the man you want. He will spring to the task of dogging Wilbert's footsteps. And if Wilbert bops him and he bops Wilbert, it won't matter, he being outside talent. Not that I anticipate that Wilbert will dream of doing that, for Kipper's mere appearance commands respect. The muscles of his brawny arms are as strong as iron bands. And he has a cauliflower ear. There was a silence of some moments, and it was not difficult to divine that she was passing my words under review. This way and that, dividing the swift mind, as I have heard Jeeves put it. When she spoke, it was at quite an odd voice. Do you know, Bertie, there are times, rare, yes, but they do happen, when your intelligence is almost human. You've hit it. I never thought of young Herring. Do you think he would come? He was saying to me only the day before yesterday that his dearest wish was to catch an invitation. Anatel's cooking is green in his memory. Then send him a wire. You can telephone it to the post office. Sign it with my name. Right ho! Tell him to drop everything and come running. She rang off, and I was about to draft the communication, when, as so often happens to one, on relaxing from a great strain, I became conscious of an imperious desire for a little something quick. Oh, for a beaker full of the warm south, as James would have said. I pressed the bell accordingly and sank into a chair, and presently the door opened, and a circular object with a bald head and bushy eyebrows manifested itself, giving me a quick start. I had quite forgotten that ringing bells at Brinkley Court under prevailing conditions must inevitably produce Sir Roderick Glossop. It's always a bit difficult to open the conversation with a blend of brain specialist and butler, especially if your relations with him in the past have been not too chummy, and I found myself rather at a loss to know how to set the ball rolling. 
I yearned for that drink, as the heart desireth the water brook. But if you ask a butler to bring you a whiskey and soda, and he happens to be a brain specialist too, he's quite apt to draw himself up and wither you with a glance. All depends on which side of him is uppermost at the moment. It was a relief when I saw that he was smiling a kindly smile and evidently welcoming the opportunity of having a quiet chat with Bertram. So long as we kept off the subject of hot water bottles, it looked as if it would all be well. Good afternoon, Mr. Worcester. I've been hoping for a word with you in private, but perhaps Miss Wickham has already explained the circumstances. She has. Then that clears the air, and there's no danger of your incautiously revealing my identity. She impressed it upon you that Mrs. Cream must have no inkling of why I'm here. Oh, rather! Secrecy and silence, what? If she knows you are observing her son, with a view to finding out if he was foggy between the ears, there would be umbrage on her part, or even high dudgeon. Exactly. And how's it coming along? I beg your pardon. The observing. Have you spotted any dippiness in the subject? If by that expression you mean, have I formed any definite views on Wilbert Cream's sanity, the answer is no. It is most unusual for me to be able to make up my mind after even a single talk with the person I am observing. But in young Mr. Cream's case, I remain uncertain. On the one hand, we have his record. The stink bombs. Exactly. And the check cashing with leveled gat. Precisely. And a number of other things which one would say pointed to a mental unbalance. Unquestionably, Wilbert Cream is eccentric. But you feel the time has not yet come to measure him for a straight waistcoat. I would certainly wish to observe further. Jeeves told me there was something about Wilbur Cream that someone had told him when we were in New York that might be significant. Quite possibly. What was it? He couldn't remember. Too bad. Well, to return to what I was saying, the young man's record appears to indicate some deep-seated neurosis if not actual schizophrenia, but against this must be set the fact that he gives no sign of this in his conversation. I was having quite a long talk with him yesterday morning and found him most intelligent. He's interested in old silver and spoke with a great deal of enthusiasm about an 18th century cow creamer in your uncle's collection. He didn't say he was an 18th century cow creamer. Certainly not. Probably just wearing the mask. I beg your pardon. I mean, crouching for the spring, as it were, lulling you into security, bound to break out sooner or later in some direction or another. Very cunning, these fellows with deep-seated neuroses. He shook his head reprovingly. We must not judge hastily, Mr. Worcester. We must keep an open mind. Nothing is ever gained by not pausing to weigh the evidence. You must remember that at one time I reached a hasty judgment regarding your sanity. Those twenty-three cats in your bedroom. I flushed hotly. The incident had taken place several years previously, and it would have been in better taste, I considered, to have let the dead past bury its dead. That was explained fully. Exactly. I was shown to be an error, and that is why I say I must not form an opinion prematurely in the case of Wilbur Cream. I must wait for further evidence. And weigh it. As you say, weigh it. But you rang, Mr. Worcester. Is there anything I can do for you? Well, as a matter of fact, I wanted a whiskey and soda, but I hate to trouble you. My dear Mr. Worcester, you forget 
that I am, if only temporarily, a butler, and I hope a conscientious one. I will bring it immediately. I was wondering as he melted away if I ought to tell him that Mrs. Crane too is doing a bit of evidence weighing, and about him, but decided on the whole better not. No sense in disturbing his peace of mind. Seemed to me that having to answer to the name of Swordfish was enough for him to have to cope with for the time being. Given too much to think about, he would fret and get pale. When he returned, he brought with him not only the beaker full of the warm south, on which I flung myself gratefully, but a letter which he said had just come for me by that afternoon's post. Having slaked the thirst, I glanced at the envelope and saw it was from Jeeves. I opened it without much of a thrill, expecting he would merely be informing me that he had reached his destination safely, and expressing a hope that he would find me in the pink as I had left him at present. In short, the usual guff. It wasn't the usual guff by a mile and a quarter. One glance at its contents, and I was gushing sharply, causing Bob Glossop to regard me with a concerned eye. Not bad news, I trust, Mr. Wooster. It depends what you call bad news. It's front-page stuff, all right. This is from Jeeves, my man, now shrimping at Hearn Bay, and it casts a blinding light on the private life of Wilbert Cream. Indeed. This is most interesting. I must begin by saying that when Jeeves was leaving for his annual vacation, the subject of W. Cream came up in the home, and Dahlia, having told me he was one of the inmates here, and we discussed him at some length. Well, just before Jeeves pushed off, he let fall that significant remark I mentioned just now, the one about having heard something about Wilbert and having forgotten it. If it came back to him, he said he would communicate with me. And he has, by Jove. Do you know what he says in this missive? I'll give you three guesses. Surely this is hardly the time for guessing games. Perhaps you're right, though. They're great fun, don't you think? Well, he says that Wilbur Cream is a... Uh, what's the word? I refer to the letter. A kleptomaniac. Which means, if the term is not familiar to you, a chap who flits hither and thither, pinching everything he can lay his hands on. Good gracious. He might even go so far as Lord Loom. I never suspected this. I told you he was wearing the mask. I suppose they took him abroad to get him away from it all. No doubt. Overlooking the fact that there are just as many things to pitch in England as in America, does any thought occur to you? It most certainly does. I'm thinking of your uncle's collection of old silver. Me too. It presents a grave temptation to the unhappy young man. I don't know that I'd call him unhappy. He probably thoroughly enjoys lifting the stuff. We must go to the collection room immediately. There may be something already missing. Everything except the floor and ceiling, I expect. He would have had difficulty in getting away with those. To reach the collection room was not the work of an instant for us, for Bob Glossop was built for stability rather than speed. But we fetched up there in due course, and my first emotion on giving it the once-over was one of relief. All the junk appearing to be in statue quo. It was only after Pop Glossop had said wolf and was starting to dry off the brow, for the going had been fast, that I spotted the hiatus. The cow creamer was not among those present! <laughs>